This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance. In this episode, we welcome Misty May Trainer. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting youth sport coaches and parents who help our children succeed both on and off the field. Each episode, our host Jim Thompson, CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by professional coaches, Olympians, world-class athletes, general managers, and leading youth sports experts who share their insights from their own sports careers. In this episode, Tina Sire, Chief Impact Officer of Positive Coaching Alliance, steps in for Jim and talks with three-time Olympic beach volleyball gold medalist, Misty May Trainer. Misty discusses her path to beach volleyball and the role her parents played. She also reflects on her Olympic experience playing with Carrie Walsh Jennings and her future plans. If you believe in something bad enough that you can make it happen, you're going to line yourself up to make the best attempt at it. So yeah. I think believing in yourself is key. Misty, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. Misty May Trainer grew up in Southern California playing multiple sports. At Newport Harbor High School, she led the indoor volleyball team to two state championships and also excelled in track and field, finishing second in the state in the high jump in 1993. After finishing high school being named USA Today's best girls volleyball player in the nation, she went on to play her college volleyball for Long Beach State University. There, in 1998, her team set a record by finishing the season as undefeated national champions. After winning back-to-back College National Player of the Year awards, she graduated with a degree in kinesiology and fitness. After a brief stint with the U.S. women's national volleyball team, Misty began playing professional beach volleyball. Misty's first Olympic experience came in the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney, playing with partner Holly McPeak. The duo finished in fifth place. In 2001, Misty paired up with Carrie Walsh, and the two never looked back. Spending time on both the FIVB and AVP tours, the team once had a 112-match winning streak. They've dominated the Olympics, winning gold medals in the 2004 Athens Games, the 2008 Beijing Games, and the 2012 London Games. Misty officially announced her retirement from international volleyball just after the 2012 Olympics and has recently completed her master's degree in coaching and athletic administration. Misty currently lives in Long Beach, California with her husband, Matt Trainer. Misty, thanks so much for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Oh, no, my pleasure. So, Misty, I'm hoping you could start off by telling our Responsible Sports audience a little bit about what it was like to grow up with such incredibly athletic parents who are both so accomplished in their own right. Well, you know, I definitely had two parents that were athletically inclined, and so it made it easy for me to, um, I think, learn sports in such a different manner at a faster pace. Um, I grew up on the beach of, you know, Santa Monica in Southern California, and both my parents played. My mom actually was a tennis player until she met my father, and my dad was a 68 Olympian um, for indoor. But, you know, just being around the game, having their involvement, it sparked that interest um, and allowed me, you know, to jump in games with them. They were always... Um, very active. So our family was so active that, you know, they enjoyed teaching me, you know, this part of, this part of their, their lives. So it was, 
I mean, I couldn't ask for a better childhood to just be around sports, to have parents that were really involved, and, um, you know, that kind of sparked where, where I am today. So I'm curious, I mean, most kids don't get to have that experience of actually playing sports with their parents. Maybe their parent coaches them, but they're not actually out playing with them. And I'm curious if you could tell our listeners what it was like to actually be out playing beach volleyball um, with your parents. Well, it's funny because I could say what it was like then and what it was like, what it is like now. Uh, my mom, is she passed away um, back in 2002, um, but I, you know, got to play with her when I was growing up, and it was fun. She was more of the, um, I don't want to say my dad was negative, but more of the positive, like, way to go, pal, you know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. good job. My dad has always been more of the critical, mm-hmm. <laughs> the critical parent. And I think you have that because parents want to see their kids excel. Yeah. So they're going to be generally tough on them. Um, it's just hard when it's tough on the sideline, but it's tougher when they're on the court with you. <laughs> so that's that's what makes it a little different. But it's great um, because my parents, like I said, were so highly involved with volleyball, and I was able to play with them. It made my learning a little easier because they were able to show me things, you know, instead of just yelling. But now it's funny because when I play with, I'll play with my dad. Now he's he'll be 73 in November. And now I'm the one like, come on, Dad, you got to get that ball. You know, the the tables have turned. Um, but I think, you know, parents are always going to be critical um, of their kids. But it was really a special time. I think any time you can spend um, laughing with your parents and having fun, that's that's what it's all about. That's fantastic. I mean, I don't know how many 73-year-old dads would still be out there playing beach volleyball. That's a fantastic image. He picked up golf sooner so I picked up golf too so that's like another sport we get to play together but I think it's just it's a great time to spend with your your parents you know and like I said my mom passed away in 2002 and I think what most kids don't understand is even though you know the parents that's the parents job is to be hard on their kids you know to keep them out of trouble they want to see them um, succeed but I think kids we forget how short time is and how precious time is and it's those moments you know where you get to play with your parents or be outside or do family trips. It's so you look back and you're like, I'm so glad that happened, you know. That's fantastic. As you were growing up, I mean, we all, um, we know you so well from beach volleyball, but I know that you were really talented in a lot of different sports. And I'm curious how your parents helped you decide what to play and how long to play it and when it was time to specialize or change your focus. Because I know a lot of our listeners are going through those sorts of conversations with their kids now. And is there anything you remember of how you used to talk about your participation with your parents and how you made the decisions you did? Well, I coach clinics now with kids, and this is one of the topics I kind of hit upon, and the parents are there, you know, when I'm talking about this. I was very fortunate enough to grow up with two parents. I got to do everything. Mm. I danced for a few years. Um, I played soccer. I love soccer. got to do track and field. I played basketball. My mom's side was all tennis, so I played tennis. wasn't my most favorite sport. My grandparents had to pay me to hit balls against the backboard. <laughs> <laughs> then volleyball was just something I loved to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I really had parents that were supportive and gave up their time to allow me to do everything mm-hmm. and kind of decide on my own. Um, it's unfortunate now because I see so many um, kids are having to choose so early now. You know, the um, recruiting age has gotten younger, and mm-hmm. kids are being asked to pick a sport, you know, when they're like 12 years old, 13 years old. And to me, they're still kids. You know, you, you yeah. just never know what they're going to like later. 
Um, so I was just thankful they allowed me to do that. But they never really pushed me into one sport. Like I said, they allowed me to play everything, and just volleyball was something I chose and I gravitated towards. I wanted to practice. I asked them to take me, you know, the beach and work out, um, whereas, like I said, the opposite was tennis, where I had to be told, okay, you got to go hit balls, you know. Um, I think it's just really important for the kids to kind of, the kids have to love what they're doing. There's got to be that passion, because you don't want to, the last thing you want is a kid to burn out from sport just because they're being forced to do that activity. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but no, so I think I always tell them, kids you know now I'm like kids are supposed to be kids they're supposed to be play and I know there's so many other dynamics especially with volleyball you have indoor volleyball saying you know you can't play other sports and high school sports battle with the club sports and the year-round sports so there's mm-hmm. so many more um, facets now to the whole dynamics of the kids playing sports that it's tough but I I really am an advocate for allowing the kids to play everything it's gonna I think one um, decrease the amount of you know, injuries you see from overuse. Yep. But also it allows them to, I think, become a better all-around athlete. Yeah, yeah. There are a few things you said I really want to highlight. I mean, I love the idea that you're saying you chose volleyball and that when it comes time to specialize, that that decision is made by the athlete and what he or she is passionate about, not by you know a club coach saying, oh, she's good enough, she could get a college scholarship um, or the parents' favorite sport, you know, it could have been tennis for you, you know, it's letting the athlete choose. And one other thing you said, you said your parents gave up their time so that you could do all this different stuff. Can you say a little bit more about what you mean about them giving up their time? You know, I think uh, parents, they make sacrifices. You know, my dad would have to work extra hours to pay for certain activities that I wanted to do, you yeah. know, because I wanted to do them. They found a way to make it happen yeah um but you know parents they they need to sacrifice or they you know give up some maybe personal time or vacation time to make sure that their kids you know are able to participate in what the kids want to or um you know can and i think that you know i really appreciate what my parents did and they were um, very big into where i am today because i at 10 i can't drive myself to you know, <laughs> right. so yeah. they got to um, prioritize and figure out the schedules to make sure everything works. And, you know, a lot of the kids, they don't see their parents staying up long hours to make sure that, um, you know, the kids are taken care of and um, all that. And so, you know, it goes both both ways. And that's why I think it's so important that if the parents are going to be sacrificing time, it to me, it would be more if the kids really appreciated it and wanted to do it as opposed to being forced. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Because then you put in all this time and then right when it comes to decision stage, you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I hate it. Right. 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 (laughs) So, so I'm curious when you were in high school, um, obviously you were excelling at indoor volleyball and then track and field. And I'm assuming you also played club volleyball. How did you balance all those things and, you know, and still, you know, get your grades and, and do everything else a high schooler needs to do? Yeah, I actually, I, so my first um, two years, I did volleyball, soccer, and track. And then wow. soccer, um, I just only played club soccer. And then I did track and field um, pretty much till my senior year. And then I um, stopped doing track yeah. um, because it conflicted. And then I had club volleyball. And like I said, it was really, you know, my parents, 
not that they had to make stands with coaches, but back then the clubs that I chose to play for, um, so many of my other friends were basketball players and played different sports that they really understood that even though you're making a commitment to their club team, you do have a priority to play your high school sports, you know, mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. matter what it was. And so there was that understanding, and we found programs that fit with what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that was for me to be able to play multiple sports. Um, but, you know, it, it can be hard in even carrying it into college. It's about organizing time, you know. Obviously, unless you keep your grades up, grades are super important. Education, you know, yep. education is key because if you can't even keep your grades up, it doesn't matter how good you are in a sport yeah. because you're not going to be able to play unless you're eligible Absolutely. to play. So making time for your studies. And like I said, my parents, you know, parents are supposed to be on you for your studying, and um, but it's finding that time and really prioritizing that time to make mm-hmm. sure that if you're at practice 30 minutes early, maybe you can write half your paragraph for mm-hmm. class the next day, you know, yeah. making sure that um, the amount of time you're spending in the sports facilities, you're spending on your books. Yeah. One of the things you said is, you know, that you felt like your cl- the clubs understood that high school, your high school sport came first. And I think part of that that I want to highlight is just communication and really being upfront with club coaches about your other commitments. And yes, you're devoted to that club or that team and there are other priorities. Whereas a coach, you never want to have that come as a surprise. You know, you want an athlete and their parents to sort of tell you ahead of time, this is, this is what else is, you know, is on Misty's plate for the season. Right, um, and I, you know, I try to remind club parents too. That's super important is letting them know what is your plan. Yeah, plan is to play high school. Here's the high school schedule. You give it to them early. Yeah. Um, but also too, the parents have to know too because I, I get so many of this. Sometimes the parents feel threatened by the coaches. If you don't play this club, then you can't do this. Yeah. You, you know, you can't play this sport outside. But then you have to remember that you're the one paying them and I think you forget it I think we forget about that sometimes is you're paying them for the training yeah. so you should have more say in if my daughter wants to go to soccer she will be at practice a half an hour late you know right, right. if she doesn't play okay that's understand you know yep. but you're the one paying them for <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true, so that's true. It, but it's just gotten so to me and my eyes kind of out of control yeah um that I think parents do need to step up more and say no this is what it is going to be yeah if you don't like that it's okay you know it's okay there's so many scholarships out out there um you shouldn't have to feel threatened to get something done yeah and you might have to advocate for your child you know where your child might not feel comfortable having that conversation but then you know having it with them so i want to ask you were there specific things that you liked about volleyball as a team sport you know you know when you were playing indoor versus track and field where you know the focus was so much more as an individual sport were there things you liked about each or was it clear that the team aspect of volleyball really won out for you um I think there's always things between team sports and more individual sports um the team aspect I missed the largeness in the group of the girls I was around because there is a social aspect yeah you know to it mm-hmm. and um, that's what makes it fun is the the people that you're surrounded by. Yeah. Um, but also then at the same time, you know, on a large indoor team, luckily Carrie and I, we had two people, so we mm-hmm. knew where each other stood. We have the same goal. But mm-hmm. on a much larger team, everybody may not have that same goal mm. that you have. 
Yeah. Yet you still have to rely on the people around you. Yeah. But if their goals are different, you you can't control every you know you can't control the outcome or the situation. Whereas track and more individualized sports, you have a little more control over what happens um, because it is used, you know, just yourself. Yeah. Um, though on the individual side of it, there isn't anybody there to kind of pick you up if you're having an off day. Yeah. You've got to find your own way to make it happen, whereas with a team sport, if you're having an off day, the person next to you can maybe um, change up their game a little bit to help pick you up. Yeah. I'm intrigued by what you were saying, like on a larger team, not everybody might have the same drive or the same goal. And I'm curious if you found yourself in a role on a team like some of our listeners might where you really want to work hard, you want to strive and and not everyone shares that feeling. What do you do, you know, when you're in that role on a team where you don't feel like everyone has the same sort of focus and drive? It's, I mean, it's tough. But I've actually been very fortunate enough, and I'm not pulling in it, you know, I'm not um, lying about this, is every team I've been on, we've pushed each other, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we've um, succeeded. Yeah. And I think it takes the group effort and having different leaders. I don't think one team needs just one leader. Yeah. I think there's so many other different leaders. I'm not a loud leader, mm-hmm. but I'm like a leader by example. You know, you have other um, leaders that are well-organized. They can keep everybody in line, you know. So I think there's a place for everyone. And as long as you kind of find that place for everyone, um, then that's when I think the common goal can happen and, you know, everybody feels they're a part of something as opposed to here's a bunch of individuals um, and let's just win. Like I said, I've been very fortunate enough to – have been surrounded by people like with like minds as myself that we've wanted to work hard. I know in college we came up short my junior year. We lost in the semifinals of the Final Four, and the five players that came in together that would have been seniors, we had to leave two behind for redshirt purposes. But mm-hmm. the five of us that came in together had a meeting right after um, – that last ball fell and said, we don't want to feel this again. This is what we're going to do. And everybody kind of bought in, but it took all of us banding together and saying, this is what our goals are. And if nobody wants this, or if any of you don't want this, then you're free to kind (laughs) of leave. But this is what we want. Mm -hmm. And this is how we're going to make it happen. But it was voicing it. It was um, constantly reminding each other of what our goal was. It was pushing each other day in and day out of the gym. And um, then that next year, we ended up going undefeated. Yeah, that that is so incredible, a, an entire um, college season undefeated. I, I was curious how that 1998 national championship compared with your experiences of the state titles when you were in high school um, and just, you know, sort of stacking up the, the high school championship against the, the Long Beach State championship. I think it's, I mean, each team was so special and um, was completely different platforms because the NC2A is so recognized Mm -hmm. um, throughout the United States. And um, instead of playing in front of a high school crowd of maybe 3,000, 2,500, 3,000, the Final Four, you're playing in front of 13,000. So 
it's a much bigger, you know, I think stage, but they are very special. Um, but I love my team from college, and I, not that I don't love my high school teammates because I love them very much. It's just a much different level. It's a much different, um, I think, competition feel. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that one of the things we talk about um, inside responsible sports is how important it is for athletes to have a, a short memory and sort of this ability to process a mistake and move on and not ruminate over it and to really focus on the next play. And I'm curious if that's something that you feel like you've always been good at, or is that something that you've had to sort of learn and work on over the years? I think um, it's something you always have to work on is, I think that's one of the hardest things, and that's one of the things that bites players the most is they're always worried about what just happened. Yeah. Instead of, it's a new play, how can I, you know, improve, or how can I not make that mistake again? Um, But it's something I think through life experiences. um, I was always tough on myself, and then, like I said, my mom passed away in 2002. Yeah. Well, now it makes what I do so minuscule. It's like, Mm -hmm. ah, okay, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think it takes different life experiences, but also, like you said, learning from your mistakes, watching video, knowing that um, if you're in that scenario again, you've been there before and you know how to switch it up. But so so often you just see so many players focus on the negative when they really need to focus on the positive. Um, And that's just, like I said, that's a lot of practice, a lot of imagery, visualization, Mm -hmm. a lot of positive talk. Yeah. Yep, positive self-talk, absolutely. Um, so, so coming out of college, um, you joined the U.S. Women's National Volleyball Team, you know, the indoor team. And I, I've read that your time on that team was short and that you, in part, decided to leave that team because you just felt like it wasn't fun anymore. And I'm curious, I think a lot of people might be surprised by that, you know, sort of reaching the pinnacle of your sport. And I was wondering if you could tell our responsible sports audience a bit about that time and sort of that feeling and and why you didn't stay on that team longer. Yeah, we were, I was on the national team out of Colorado Springs. And it just, I started to feel that fire start to dwindle because I felt I was putting in the work and um, and many players out there, they're going to put in the work and not feel like they're given an um, equal chance to kind of fight for a position. It felt just the same every day, and I just mm. started to kind of lose that fire. I'd been playing for so many years, had never had a summer off, and it came time to, I think it was in 90, yeah, it was 98, the Pan American Games were held in Winnipeg, and mm-hmm. I saw a friend of mine playing beach volleyball, and I had played with her in club volleyball, and you know, she kind of see I was um, not really fired up as much about indoor. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just because I wanted to have a shot. And she was explaining to me about the beach. And after that Pan American Games, I made the decision to leave the indoor game. And it wasn't – what made it easier was there was another avenue for me yeah. with the beach being in the Olympics. Yeah. And so I didn't want to completely hate my sport because I've seen so many players hang in there and hang in there and then not, just fall completely out of love with it. Yeah. That I didn't want that to happen and this was an easy easier change for me. Yeah. I was like, okay, let's try the the beach game. But yeah, I was just the fire dying. I needed to 
you know, just get away for a little bit. And I miss indoor. You know, I do miss indoor, and I would go play pickup games in the gym. And I think coaching the indoor game now is one way that keeps that fire mm-hmm. alive for that indoor game. Yeah. You know, but that's what it was. It was just getting burnt out, and I had been playing for a very long time. Well, I, I think it's pretty incredible your ascension, you know, in the sport of beach volleyball. Because by 2000, you had already reached your first Olympics, um, paired with Holly McPeak and representing the U.S. Um, I'm curious, what what were your takeaways when you look back on that first Olympic experience in 2000? Um, what do you remember, and and how do you think it set you up for future success? Well, I think um, you know what most people or some people may not realize is. The Olympic process for beach volleyball takes two years. So every team has two years to qualify, and they take your eight best finishes out of that two-year process. Mm -hmm. Well, when Holly and I connected, we had, I think, nine tournaments to qualify in. Oh, wow. So we had to at least medal every chance we could Mm -hmm. in order to pass the other two American teams. Um, A lot of people didn't think we would do it, but we held strong, and we felt we could do it. And so I think that's one of the... Um, takeaways is if you believe in something bad enough that you can make it happen, you're going to line yourself up to make the best attempt at it. Yep. So I That's think believing awesome. in yourself is key. Yep. Um, also, I mean, I took a big risk leaving the indoor game. Mm-hmm. And then Holly took a risk, you know, taking me as a newbie, as a partner. Mm-hmm. So I think in order to achieve things, if you keep yourself pigeonholed, you'll never know you've got to take risks mm, sometimes. I, I love you that. Know, without I, taking a risk, you never know what's going to happen. And that even goes in the sport, yep. too. If you see a shot open and you're like, I don't know if I should take it or not take it, you're never going to know what could be or you you may not even um, know if you um, like can improve it, you know, mm-hmm. if you never take that risk. So I think risk was another um, take away from that Olympics. And then also, I think, enjoying the process. you got to enjoy the process. You have to, have to have patience and enjoy the process, whatever you're doing. Yep. I, I love this idea of being willing to take risks. It's something that we talk to high school athletes about a lot. And I mean, if there's anyone in our society that doesn't like to look foolish, you know, it's teenagers. Um, and this idea that they would take a risk and maybe fail. Um, you know, I think it's important for them to hear from someone like you that you're not going to improve and you're not going to know what you could be if you don't push yourself and take some risks to grow. Um, I really, really, and I mean, you look at the best inventors, you look at the best, you know, people, they've failed. Yes. And the only way to get better is by failing. Get your nose, like I tell some young players, hey, go and play, get your nose rubbed in it. You're going to lose if you lose bad but then you know what you need to work on. You know what you need to get better at. Yeah. Um, that's the only way to get better. Yep, yep, that's great. So obviously many of our listeners are used to hearing your name uh, paired up with Carrie Walsh. And, you know, now you guys have won three Olympic golds. And I'm curious if you can just sort of share the story of how you guys first started playing beach volleyball together and, and sort of the beginning of, of your story. Well, going back to club volleyball, you know, for many girls that are playing the sport, you kind of know names out there. And so Carrie and I, we never, I think we might have played one level at the same time. I always played up um, an age group. Mm-hmm. When I was playing, when we were playing, it was 14, 16, and 18. 
I think at that time, Carrie and I played 18s at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. She was a junior, I was a senior. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know names and you, you know players from different levels. And then she went on, she played, she joined the national team after I left, shortly after I left. Mm-hmm. And she had the same thing. I think, you know, she was looking at maybe going overseas after Sydney because she played in the Sydney Olympics. And um, she's very close with her family. So I think it was a combo of maybe being burned out of indoor and then not wanting to, you know, be that far away mm-hmm. from her family. Mm-hmm. And so our parents, you know, met each other and got introduced at um, a house in Greece, and we said, oh, if she's getting burned out, why doesn't she try the beach? You know, come out and just see how she likes it, because she was too good of an athlete just not to play, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that was her choice. And we wanted to open her eyes to this and see what she thought. And she came out while she was finishing up school at Stanford. She came out and stayed and, you know, tried the beach and loved it. And That's all she wrote. Yeah. What is it about you two team together that you feel like has made it possible for you to be so incredibly successful over such a span of years? Well, I think it goes back to, you know, we believe in each other. We believe in what our team is trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that whole belief. Um, we're very determined. Both of us want to be the best and make our teammates the best that we can be. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, we, perse- we persevere through things. Um, there's so many teams that only stick together for a short amount of time. Um, but Carrie and I, you know, we've been through the ups and we've been through the downs and we've stuck at it because we know in the end it's going to work. It's going to work for us. So it's sticking, sticking together. Um, but also we're, I think we're pretty dynamic. I mean, I'm short. I think I'm short. Most people wouldn't consider me short, <laughs> but she's yeah. three and five nine. Yeah. Yet we can play each other's positions, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Where a lot of other teams aren't as dynamic. Um, the taller person usually stays at the net, never plays defense, and so yeah. we just we complement each other in such a way that we can um, adjust to any situation. That's great. That's great. Now, um, I think most people know that you guys almost didn't end up competing together as a team in the London Games. And I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about that and how it finally came to pass that you were together again um, competing for your third straight gold. Yeah, well, I thought 2008 would be my last um, go around for international because my husband and I will be married nine years coming up and we want a family and Mm -hmm. um, being a female athlete, you know, you got to take time off. And yeah. so I thought, I've accomplished everything. After Greece, I was like, okay, I've accomplished everything I could have ever dreamed. And then mm. um, Beijing happened, and that was like icing on the cake. <laughs> and so I thought I could step aside and be like, okay, it's family time now. But I still had some, some of that fire burning inside me. Yeah. And, you know, every athlete's kind of dream or how – you want it to play out is to finish on your terms. Yes. Um, and, you know, I had the Achilles injury in 2000 and at the end of 2008 and was able to come back from that because of other injuries I've had to bounce back from. And yeah. so knowing that I was able to kind of play um, still at a high level, I was like, okay, I think I can do this. And I think the toughest thing was telling my husband, can we put family on hold 
Mm. You know, this is something I need to do for myself um, because you want to be settled. I think, you know, as an athlete, you want to feel settled, and mm. finishing on your terms is a way of making that happen. And I did tell him, and he was so supportive. And then, you know, Carrie had already partnered with somebody, but I just felt the right thing to do out of respect to her was let her know, hey, if you see me on the court, I have decided to play. Um, I didn't expect her to drop everything and be like, okay, we're playing together. But out of respect for her, I wanted her to be the first one to know instead of just showing up one day and she's like, I thought you were done. But, you know, she she had to figure out what she wanted, and it's always tough telling somebody you don't want to play with them. Yeah. And what your decision, and um, I think it's equally tough being women because we always tend to hold grudges. So, but, you know, I'm very fortunate. She chose me, and we went on to win in 2012. It wasn't the easiest ride mm-hmm. um, just because sitting out two years and the world is getting so much better in beach volleyball and we weren't the heavy favorites. Right. But it went back to the whole belief. We believed in us as a unit. We believed in what our goal was, and we believed in each other's abilities to set us up for the best possible way to be successful. So, so one of the things you brought up um, was having to come back from injuries, and that's one of the biggest questions we get from athletes is, like, how do I deal with this, like, major injuries? I mean, there's so many ACL tears, and, you know, kids are trying to come back from this. And are there tips you would give athletes about successfully coming back from injuries and things they can do to still stay involved with their team or their sport, you know, even when they're in the middle of rehab? Right. Well, I think, you know, like I said, I think one of the – main reasons kids get hurt is a lot of overuse and so I think really listening to your body it's hard as as an athlete to say I'm hurt I can't play yes you'd rather play through it yeah I think that's like the number one step is be honest with yourself Mm -hmm. how do you feel you don't want to jeopardize your career or your future um, playing through pain so I think one is just being um, listening to your body and being honest with yourself two is really listening to the therapist a lot of times you know, we get surgery or we get healed from, um, you know, having it worked on. We go to a therapist and we do the exercises there, but then we want to push it a little more because we feel so good. It's like, yeah. you got to be patient. Yeah. You, know, you got to be patient. Um, but the hardest thing is, you know, standing on the sideline. But your mind is such a powerful thing that it you can use visualization. So... Even if you can't practice, you go and watch. You can learn so much from watching. Um, but even visualization, they say, can help heal. So maybe it, hmm. you know, at night you take deep breaths and you close your eyes and you visually see like light going to where your injury is and you, know, hmm. you think about healing and getting back. And you can also do that playing-wise. You know, maybe set 10 minutes um, aside a day and you visualize yourself passing a ball and what they say, I think they say your muscles kind of fire, even though you're not playing. Yep. And that's a great way, you know, to improve. Yeah. Um, but great. it takes discipline, you know, staying disciplined and, you know, watching. But just being there for your teammates um, and being a part of the team, it's going to take your mind off of, woe goes me. Right. <laughs> you know, um, but I think. Like I said, visualization is so important. Being patient, listening to your body. Yep, yep. So um, 
in the sport of beach volleyball in particular, do you feel like there are specific things that you did um, to honor the game? And when I say honor the game, we sort, it's sort of a, a version of sportsmanship, sort of what you're doing to respect um, the rules, your opponents, the officials, you know, teammates and yourself. We talk about respecting the roots of the game. And, and I'm curious if that's something that when you look back at yourself as like a new pro all those years ago um, versus your evolution as a professional, um, has your has your sort of approach to honoring the game shifted? And what are some specifics that athletes could could sort of copy from you in ways that you honored the game? Um, I want to say I've remained the same yep. the whole time. Yep. You know, I'm very respectful of my opponents. Um, always, you know, I never want to yell under the net unless they mm. really make me mad and they do it first. Uh-huh. You, know? <laughs> I, you respect your competition. Even after, let's say, you get defeated or yep. win, always pay respect to your opponents um, because there is a reason why you lost that day. Sports, some, there's going to be one winner, one loser. Yeah. And I think you always have to pay your respects to the people yeah. that won. They outplayed you or they, you know. Yeah. Um, but also I think being cordial to the referees. The referees, mm. a lot of people don't know, aren't the highest paid. You know, sometimes they're volunteers. Sometimes they just love it because they love the athletes. They love the sport. And sometimes the way they're treated <laughs> isn't indicative of what they should be <laughs> yes. getting. Yeah. So, you know, you always thank the people for, you know, the event staff, the um, respect your referees. Yeah. They're only out there. They're doing the best they can, you yep. know, and a lot of them are doing it um, because they love what they do and not because of the pay. Um, but also, too, I think thanking the fans. The fans are big, big um, support. We wouldn't be on the platform we were unless it was, for the people that wanted to watch our games come to the venues. Yeah. Yeah. So really thanking the volunteers and the fans. Um, and that's what I think a lot of high school kids and kids don't realize is they show up and, you know, I learned this from a master's class and I already kind of knew, I already knew this, but college athletes, high school athletes, there's more that goes into setting up a match or having a game played than the game itself. You know, people have to set up the tables. They've got to clean the gym floor, you know. And so I think more athletes need to recognize that. Yes. Because that's where it all begins. That's a great takeaway. So um, so we're to our last question, and I'm just hoping you would share with our Responsible Sports listeners a little bit about your future plans. I wanted to congratulate you on the master's um, in coaching and athletic administration and um, just see if you sort of know where your road is headed from, from here out. Thank you. Well, um, I just had knee surgery not oh. too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just recovering from that just to clean up. But I have Dream and Gold Volleyball Clinics that I started mm-hmm. in a little Dream and Gold Volleyball Junior Series um, that goes nationwide. We have about six or seven stops this year, along mm-hmm. with some of my sponsors. Mm-hmm. And it's, I really enjoy working with kids, and that's, I want to get back to the next generation. I want to get them up to you know, fill my shoes. Mm-hmm. So it's about working with the juniors now. Mm-hmm. So I've got my clinics going. Um, we want a family. So my husband and I are working, you know, on a family. That's great. And yeah. it's just been nice catching up with family and friends because as athletes, I talk about sacrificing time, but it's what we choose to do to make our dreams, you know, come true. 
but now it's time for me to, you know, hang out with my husband now that we see each other. My father, you know, he's getting older to spend time because, like I said, that time you can't get back. So it's um, doing that. But really it's going out and talking. And like I said, I've really been trying to focus on the coaching aspect mm-hmm. now, yep. which um, has been so fun. That's great. That's great. Well, a lot of us, I think, find the coaching part even harder than the playing part where you're not actually on the court doing it yourself. But Yes. You know? It's different because like, it goes back to the whole you can't control right. what's going on out there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. So, but I have a great time. You know, the, there's nothing better than seeing a kid or um, a young athlete do something they didn't think they knew how or see their body move in a manner yep. to allow them to achieve what they were trying to that's right that's right well misty thank you so much for taking so much time with us today and and sharing all these insights with me and with the responsible sports listeners i really think you're helping a number of parents and coaches and student athletes who are out there listening so wishing you all the best of luck and just thank you for so many wonderful um, memories for us um, over the course of your sports career thank you thanks for having me To learn more about Responsible Sports, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find valuable Responsible Sport parenting and Responsible Coaching Guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and helpful advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.